All right, so uh, just to begin, I would like to state for the record that today is July 10th, 2020, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Dennis Avery, who is in Evansville, Indiana. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Oral History Initiative. So uh, just to start off, when and where were you born? Indiana. Okay. And uh, what year was that? Um, 1946. Okay. And uh, what were your parents' names? My dad's name was Theodore Delbert, T-H-E-L-B-E-R-T, Avery. Okay. And my mother was uh, Francis. Right. Okay. And... Uh, where was your family from originally? Have have you always lived in Evansville or? No, uh, I, uh, they lived in Warwick County, up in the Folsomville area. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, which is about thirty-five miles from Evansville. Okay. But, they, but at Warwick County didn't have a hospital, so that's why they. Right. Right. Evansville. And. Um, how long has your family lived in Indiana? Uh, my, my dad for his entire life, but I think uh, uh, my uh, great-grandfather settled in Heilman, Indiana. Oh, okay. H-E-I-L-M-A-N. Yeah. Uh, a long time ago. I'm not sure exactly when. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. And uh, what were your parents' occupations? My dad worked at uh, uh, Horapool, which is manufactured refrigerators at the time. And my mother was, a, I guess, was considered a housewife. Oh, okay. Interesting. Or homemaker. Right, right. They, they got a divorce when I was three, though, so. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, do you have any siblings at all? Uh, yes, my dad was married six times, and my mother was married five times. Wow. So I have okay. I have a whole bunch of half-brothers and sisters scattered all over. Okay. And, that... uh, but, uh, wow. Uh, I think 13. Thir the, 13, uh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty big family, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but as I said, all but one were half-brothers and sisters. I did have a full sister, though. Oh, okay. I, I was the oldest. Right. Interesting, okay. And so that, that's really interesting. How would you describe your childhood then? Well, um, we were raised on a farm. Okay. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the Folsom, between Folsomville and Tennyson on a, uh, on a farm. And uh, basically hard work and uh, uh, growing up in a rural area where it didn't come in contact with a lot of people. Yeah. Sure. And went to Folsomville Grade School. Okay. Boonville High School. Interesting. Um, and so would you say that your grandparents were the most influential people in your childhood? Uh, probably my grandmother. Your grandmother? And, and grandfather. Okay. Yes, my grandparents, yes. Um, and what understanding, if any, did you have about your family's political beliefs as a young child? 
well, um, it was a mixed uh, politically. My my grandmother was a Republican, and my grandfather worked the polls for the Democrats every year. That's interesting. Wow. And my dad was a Democrat, and uh, he he lived nearby. You know, uh, and my mo- mom lived uh, the next county over in Spencer County, and she was a Republican. So it was uh, uh, very interesting politically. Yeah, I bet. But uh, my grandpa refused to take grandma to the polls, because uh, and she would call the Republican precinct committee because she didn't drive. Okay. The precinct committee would take her to the polls, and when she would come in, she would always tell him that she was coming in to cancel his vote. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, did your grandparents have sort of political debates at all around you growing up? Not too much. Uh, okay. Uh, Grandma, you know, uh, they both express their opinions on occasion. Sure. Uh, about different things, but uh, uh, my grandma, my grandfather had a third grade education. Okay. And my grandmother had an eighth grade education, so uh, uh, it was basically they argued uh, uh, the image of the party. Grandma believed the Democrat Party was the War Party. Mm, okay. Uh, because uh, World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam War, all started under Democratic administrations. Sure. And my and my uh, grandfather believed the Democrat Party was for the working man, so he'd always been a Democrat. So and and Grandma would probably pretty much always been a Republican. Right. But uh, and but anyhow, they they always voted though. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, what about your parents? Did, do you remember them having any uh, political views at all? Or? Yeah, my uh, my dad. I don't. I don't really my mother because I didn't see her very often. Right. But but uh, my uh, and I wasn't even aware that she was Republican until later on. Oh, okay. But and my dad, uh, he was a Democrat because of union issues. Hmm. Yeah, he was a member of local eight, local eight oh eight. Uh, union in Whirlpool. Uh, okay. And and, uh, and member of the National Farm Workers also since he farmed. Yeah. Uh, but but you know during the Reagan administration, uh, Dad switched, became a Republican. He got born again. Okay. And uh, because of, um, of religious issues, and mm. then. Um, uh, uh, when they cut, he was disabled because of uh, diabetes. Okay. So uh, they, uh, when they cut his benefits, he became a Democrat again. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And my mother, on the other hand, she became a a Democrat later on because of war issues, and and I think my influence too. Okay. Um, she became a Democrat, so they kind of switched. Wow. Okay. And that's what came back to the Democrat Party, though. Yeah. Because of the uh, benefit issues. Right. That's interesting. Um, now, let's see. What What about your uh, educational experiences? Did you have any favorite subjects in school or extracurricular activities you were involved in? Well, in high school, history and government were my favorites. Okay. I didn't really involve myself in too much or much of anything, really, because I had to get home and... Being the oldest, I was responsible for taking care of the animals. 
Yeah. Was in at the farm because Dad worked uh, usually worked second and third shifts. Right. So I was had a lot of responsibilities being the oldest. But in college, it was uh, my my favorite subject were history and political science. And uh, uh, although I was a business major, I didn't really like business courses. <laughs> and I'm not sure why I became a business major, but. I, I <laughs> And and you went to what the University of Evansville, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, did you have any views growing up about the state of Indiana or what it was like to be a Hoosier? Uh, not really. I, I I think I on a farm. I I've always felt very strongly about the environment. And, okay. Uh, and uh, so that was one thing that uh, I always and, and nature and uh, the out. Outdoors. And, sure. Uh, I always had strong feelings about those issues. Okay. But I didn't have poli- too many political views. I think I identified with the Democrat Party because of John Kennedy. Oh, okay. But uh, uh, he was young and vibrant, and I argued with friends in high school about uh, uh, Kennedy and Nixon. And, yeah. But um, um, but I didn't really have strong views until college. Right. Okay. Interesting. So you mentioned you were a business major in college. Did Was that something that you were thinking about doing already in high school, or was it something you just decided on when you went to college? Uh, it was something I decided on in college. Okay. My dad, was, my dad wanted me to uh, major in something that would make a good income, so he he was encouraged me to be an engineering major. And, okay. But I didn't have real strong science and math skills. So, uh, Folsomville did not prepare me for in, in those areas too strongly. Yeah. Small school. I think there was seven in my class and and two in the class in front of me. So we were a very small school. Okay. And uh, even though we got a lot of individual attention, I'm not sure it was a. Uh, uh, we really were per- adequately prepared for high school, and then right. And I was a. And I was just encouraged to, not encouraged to prepare also for college. I, I don't know. What, I think some friends went to college, and I decided I'd go too, but I wasn't sure why at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think the young people need to have encouragement when they're young and uh, to adequately prepare themselves. Right. Sure. And I, and that's the same with first-time first, first time college students, which is what I was uh, in my family, and uh, is that uh, it, somebody has to uh, uh, have such a break through the ceiling, and uh, right. And I was the one that did that. But uh, since then, I've had siblings that have done quite well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, while you were in college. Did you were you involved in any particular clubs or organizations or? Uh, basically, intramural sports. Okay. And uh, and I was in, in uh, the college Democrats and the, the college. Uh, I was involved in college politics uh, uh, also. Oh, okay. And. I was not, not a leader. I was just a helper at that time. At that time. Okay. And how did college sort of impact your your political views? Uh, I think 
uh, the war, uh, even though the University of Evansville is a very small, very conservative uh, university, yeah, uh, I I got involved with a group of people that we were opposed to the Vietnam War. Yeah, and so uh, I uh, uh, that's where I started my opposition to the war, and later on got involved in the, the Eugene McCarthy for president campaign because oh. he opposed to the war. Yeah, okay. And, and uh, although Robert Kennedy was too, but he was late in coming to the table, so. Right. Uh, but, but I was supporting Eugene McCarthy very early and uh, and worked for his, during his, for his campaign. In fact, I was a delegate to the Democrat State Convention that year. Oh, okay. And, uh, I had a, I had a quality that uh, when, uh, for delegate to State Convention, so many people run, they list you in alphabetical order, and my mm-hmm. last name is Avery, so I was near the top. Okay. So that was what uh, enabled me to get elected as delegate. I think there were 18 in my ward running that year. Interesting. And how did you view your college experiences at the time overall? I, I enjoyed it. It, it was, uh, I really liked it. It was, uh, it was the first time I'd perhaps been on my own without the I could work on the farm, and uh, yeah. it was. Uh, uh, I enjoyed uh, the camaraderie of, of friends. And, sure. And uh, uh, I, later, my last three years, my, my sophomore, junior, senior year, I had to work also. So uh, uh, that made it more difficult because I had to work uh, and go to school at the same time. Right. And U of E is a small, uh, not-for-profit uh, liberal arts university, and the being private, it's a little more expensive than yeah. publics were, and I'm not sure. My dad encouraged me to go there because uh, it was closer to home. Okay. And that was before the University of Southern Indiana started, so that's why I went there. Right. Um, and did you, what did you hope to do after graduation? Well, I, I didn't honestly know for sure. Okay. My major was business, so I had interviewed for business type jobs. And, but then I got drafted. I, yeah. I, I, for a year, I worked in insurance and uh, and didn't really like it. And uh, uh, but then I got drafted, so uh, I had that took two years out of out of my life. Yeah. And, uh, and I got sent to Vietnam, which I was opposed to. For well, sure. Yeah. And uh, what was that experience like? Well, I was I had a college degree at that point, so uh, I became a personnel specialist and very was very fortunate that I didn't see any uh, combat. Okay. But uh, um, but nevertheless, it was uh, still you know a learning experience and and uh, and uh, um, and I'm not I I don't really regret going because I didn't have to do things that were that uh, I would have. Been traumatized about, but uh, right. But I did go because uh, it was my, felt my responsibility. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's that's yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, I, yeah. Also, I came from a small uh, area where uh, uh, a lot of uh, my peers uh, would have probably gone if I didn't. Uh, when I was drafted, they would have gone to the next person. So. Right. But that would have been um, would have been 
not fair to them. So, sure, they they might not have fared as well because they most of them did not have a college background. Yeah, and what was your parents' reaction to you getting drafted? Um, well, I don't think I don't. My dad didn't talk much, and my nor, nor did my grandpa. My, my grandpa was very very worried. Because uh, she had, uh, being anti-war, uh, she um, had her two during World War II. Her one of her best friends and our next-door neighbor lost two sons in World War II. So I think that's one of the reasons that she was so opposed to war. Okay. And uh, and so she was very worried about me and about what might happen. And also, um, pr- while in after college, I did apply for conscience projector status too, since I was opposed to the Vietnam War. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, and uh, I honestly, I got, I received the conscientious objector status. I didn't think I would because, uh, uh, it, you know, I did not meet the standards. You're supposed to oppose, be opposed to all war. And I was opposed to that war and, uh, and not all war. So, when I got it, I was somewhat surprised. I was just really trying to make a point that I was opposed to that war, and uh, well, but then I turned it down. Uh, I didn't feel that I met the standard, and I didn't want to, other people to have to go in my place, and so uh, I turned it down. And they had to re uh, uh, awarded a different status, which was made me eligible for the draft, and was drafted. Wow. Okay. That, that must have been, yeah, I guess quite the experience and um, I imagine that you must have had a lot of thoughts go through your head when you first learned you were drafted. Uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, uh, I, it, it was, it was somewhat traumatizing. I, I bet. I was uh, married at that time. And, uh, oh, wow. Really? Okay. And so it was uh, traumatic for her too. And she moved in with her parents. Uh, while while I left and down in Kentucky, she lived in her family was from Princeton, Kentucky. And when did you get married? Uh, uh, that was my first marriage. That was '69, uh, I believe. Okay. And then you got married again later. And yeah. what year was that? Um, what year was I married? Yeah. No, you. Two thousand four. Okay, got it. I'm not supposed to remember. I forget those things. <laughs> and uh, what's your wife's name? Uh, uh, Patty or Patricia. Okay. So, after the war, what did you do? I worked in insurance for a while again. I came back to the same company again. And I was not, uh, I, I didn't really like insurance all that much. And so needless to say, you're not, you got to really live and breathe that insurance if you're going to be successful. And this is the same with all sales. And uh, I, at the same time, I got involved in politics too and was uh, uh, spending a lot of time in politics. And uh, so, uh, you, as I said, you got to live and breathe. It's, whatever your 
telling, and uh, I was not doing that, so I was not overly successful in insurance and later on real estate. I did real estate too, late years, several years later. Okay. And um, let's see. Do you have any children at all? Uh, yes, I have a daughter. Uh, she was adopted. Oh, okay. And, uh, she she lives in Toronto. Interesting. And uh, and uh, has two children. I saw two grandchildren living in Toronto. Yeah. Then I have several. I have uh, some stepchildren too. Oh, okay. And, uh, one of the, a stepson living in the Netherlands. Wow. And uh, and. Uh, stepdaughter living in Virginia, and a stepson who's disabled living with us, mm, Okay. And, uh, and then we lost a stepdaughter last year in a car accident. Oh no, okay, sorry to hear that. And uh, then I have uh, a total of five grandchildren, two in Canada, uh, a stepson living in, uh, in the Netherlands has two children living in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow, okay. So uh, he and his wife got a divorce. And so our, and then we have a, a grandson living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. So as you can see, no, no one lives nearby except David, who lives in the basement. Okay. Wow, but yeah, you have quite the, your family's pretty spread out then. That they are. And right, right now, we, we were seeing them on occasion. We would uh, travel to see them, or they would travel to see us, but... Uh, with the coronavirus, we've not been able to do that. Right, of course. Now they won't let us go to Canada, so uh, because of yeah. our policies. Yeah, that's and true. Brazil. We don't want to go to Brazil right now, but, uh, right. but we would like to see our, our two sons, grandsons in Brazil. They're all little, all, all of them are, I think, uh, under uh, uh, eight, oldest is eight, I believe. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so, when did you get seriously involved in politics? Uh, when I got back from uh, uh, Vietnam. Okay. I got involved in Vanderbilt County Young Democrats, and, and um, be, the following year I became president of the Vanderbilt County Young Democrats. Oh, okay. And, uh, and uh, ran in 1972 for precinct committeeman and delegate to the state convention again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, that was, yeah, that was, I ran for delegate state convention. And uh, so uh, I won both. Um, and I've been involved ever since as, as a, uh, at the local government, local organization politics. And in 74, is when I ran for state representative, I, I uh, uh, talked to the one of the county officials about running for office and and he uh, told me about a vacancy on the ticket for state representative, so I ran. And, uh, it was 1974. It was a very Republican district. Okay. But uh, uh, four people run, could run for two seats. It was a multi-member district, two-member district. Uh, we had a, a, two Republican incumbents, but uh, one of them was a school teacher, uh, and the other... Um, was a, I think a realtor, got a realtor, an insurance agent, but he uh, was defeated in the primary by the mayor's administrative assistant, uh, uh, Randy Shepard, who later on became uh, 
chief justice of the Indiana Supreme Court. Wow. And, and uh, he was bright, he was uh, articulate, and and everyone just assumed he would win. But as it turned out, I, I beat him. Wow. Um, an eyelash after a recount. But uh, I got a few more, uh, I had a few more votes he did going into the recount. After the recount, I had more, way more. But there, there were some mistakes made, so I ended up with good margin after the recount but uh, um, but, but anyhow it, uh, the, I had I had in 76 I had to run against him again and uh, won also won another barrel margin he was a very good very good person okay and I respected him a lot and uh, and still do yeah that's back when we we didn't uh, uh, it wasn't life or death in politics it was you know, right we could each other, still run against each other. I don't yeah. think that's the case anymore. Yeah, that's that's the impression I get. Um, yeah, most most uh, people I talked to that that had served like you like you did, you know, from many different eras in uh, state politics, says that there's been this change in, in the way politics is conducted. Um, let's see. Yep. So when you first became involved in politics, what were the key issues or legislation that you championed or fought against? Well, during the campaign, I uh, talked about um, uh, there was a, a terrible child abuse uh, incident uh, in Evansville. Okay. And uh, uh, and I said I would do something about it. And, uh, um, and when I was elected, I, uh, I met with some of the activists in that group and, uh, and introduced child abuse legislation, uh, re required reporting and required uh, child protection service and child protection team and uh, uh, gathering of evidence and things like that that seems like they made um, uh, long overdue and made sense. And, they, and it, it took four years, but that actually became law. And that, that was probably the issue that uh, uh, got... I got a lot of attention from that, and uh, uh, and um, especially the way it was the Republicans killed it the first two years, and uh, mm. and uh, but they got a lot of pressure, and they finally and, and as a member of the minority to get that type of major bill through is is uh, n not often the case, and so I it, it gave me the credibility that I think helped more than, more than most issues. There was another issue that uh, I think uh, I'm not sure exactly what year. But it was the issue of, um, of license branch reform. Uh, in Indiana, uh, uh, in order to drive a car, you have to have a uh, uh, you have to get them titled. You have to get a driver's license, and you have to get a license plate. Right. And uh, and all, all of those branches were run by the majority party of the governor, the governor's party. Okay. Appointed the branch managers, and so the Republican Party is always usually a Republican in Indiana. So uh, the Republican Party got a, basically a cut, a kickback on everything, and I campaigned against that. And uh, yeah, and uh, uh, after several years, it became law. I, I suspect I sued the state of Indiana. Uh, wow. Over it, and uh, and I won at the county level. Uh, they had it 
transferred to Posey County, and the, and I actually won in Posey County. And, uh, and then the Republicans in the next session of the legislature undid the effect of my lawsuit. So, uh, But then uh, when Bob Orr ran against uh, Wayne Townsend, <clears throat> Wayne Townsend picked it up as an issue, and uh, uh, so the Bob Orr said he would do something about it, and uh, they did. Uh, they, it became law. Finally, the change in the license branch system, and uh, and I think it's worked pretty well since. Oh, okay. And, uh, That's good. Yeah. I didn't get credit for it because uh, right. Uh, I was always in the, back then. We were always in the minority. So, right. Right. But nevertheless, it happened, and uh, but I know they. I had one cartoon of, uh, they had of me, uh, 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 like Don Quixote tilting at windmills. Mm. Wow. I also dealt with a lot of issues uh, dealing with poverty and uh, child abuse and child, as I said, child abuse and child neglect and the okay. homeless issue. And, uh, over the years, I had a lot of bills dealing with homelessness. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, um, um, and then another uh, major issue, because I, you know, I was viewed to be liberal. Right. And uh, uh, over the years, people called me liberal, which is, is I am, as was. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I recognized that uh, there, one thing that I had in common with a lot of Republicans was issues of uh, good government and uh, things like patronage I was opposed to and... Uh, the so-called two percent club. I oppose that, and uh, at the county level. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyhow, I was I started issues talking about issues of, uh, of restructuring government and government reform, and became very active in a, a sunset process. Uh, Indiana for several years. We reviewed uh, over the course of ten years. We reviewed every agent element of state government. And, of course, that also transferred to local government, too, because uh, local government exists at the discretion of state government. Yeah. And uh, so um, I had a, I was very much involved in, uh, in government restructuring and government reform, but that's also back when Republicans were in the majority, so I usually was a, a co-sponsor, a co-author of the, of the Sunset Committee recommendations. Okay. And, uh, and that, you know, I think gave me a lot of credibility because I, because uh, I was you know concerned about good government, uh, but at the same time my own party got a little upset with me at the time because I was usually co-sponsoring a Republican bill uh, dealing with issues that sometimes uh, uh, Democrats didn't particularly like, and right. I'm not sure why, but uh, I'm afraid that happens. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's issues of patronage, uh, whether it be eliminating a. Uh, uh, an agency, uh, uh, for example, uh, I remember when we eliminated the uh, uh, watch repair board, or eliminate the uh, 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 a licensing agency, or merging a group of licensing agencies like the barbers and the beauticians. You uh, offend some of the pra- uh, practitioners, and they have supporters in the legislature. Yeah, yeah. So any, I. I, I that I, I enjoyed those years because I was working with uh, Republicans like Ray Richardson and Steve Moberly. Okay. Uh, that, there, there used to actually be progressive Republicans, too. Yeah. They don't exist too much anymore. Yeah, I guess, yeah, things but have yeah, shifted. We, uh, uh, 
so that was another major issue of mine was restructuring and re government reform. Sure, okay. Um, did you have any national or local political heroes or mentors? Not too much. Um, I uh, was kind of a, I plowed my own course for the most part. Okay. But, uh, but there was a, another legislator from Evansville that I had a lot of respect for, and he advised me a lot to uh, sometimes it helped keep me out of trouble. And sometimes also uh, he got me in a little bit of trouble, too. His okay. name was J. Jeff Hayes, H-A-Y-S. Yeah. He was a state rep from uh, the adjoining district, uh, also a, a progressive or liberal Democrat. And uh, uh, we were concerned about different issues, He some of the same issues, but he was uh, in the consolidating, consolidating city-county government. Yeah, and I was and I was opposed to a uh, consolidation. So uh, I represent a much more rural area than he did. Right. And, uh, so um, I'm afraid uh, we we didn't always agree, but nevertheless, I had tremendous respect for him. And uh, and uh, when he ran for mayor one year, I think it was seventy three or seventy five. I can't remember what year it was. Um, I uh, the the Dem local Democrat Party back to city councilman and I backed him for mayor and uh, uh, and he won in the primary against uh, a guy named Jerry Lindsay who's a good, good person too okay. and, uh, Jeff was a friend and uh, I backed Jeff and got in a lot of trouble in fact the party opposed me in the next election oh my gosh in the primary and yeah I still won I still won but uh, I'm afraid that uh, uh, one, of the, one of the things that not a good idea is to get involved in local government if you're a state representative, get involved in the local party fights. So yeah. Do, do that a little too much. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when you first ran your, your very first campaign to get into the General Assembly um, in the 1970s, what was your campaign strategy, or did you not really have a particular strategy? I, I didn't. I, they, I, would, I don't think many people thought I'd win. Okay. Uh, it was because it was a Republican district, and, uh, and, the, and there were really two very, very capable, very able incumbents. Yeah. Uh, one was an incumbent, one had a defeated incumbent, but he very, very capable people. And uh, so no one would thought I would win. So and so I didn't raise any. I raised three hundred fifty dollars in my first campaign. Yeah, uh, and that's you know that's unheard of today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, that was pretty much unheard of back then. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that is. But but I just did door to door constantly, and and I did the factory gates. You know, I stood in front of factory gates um, in the morning when they went in, and 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 sometimes the second shift, and. Uh, and I did the fairs and, and the various social events. I did everything I could to meet people. Sure. And uh, I started doing door-to-door -door when it was, I, got, I remember one time I, I uh, was um, knocking on a door and had a Fu Manchu mustache. And uh, a guy came to the door and I had little icicles on my mustache. And he said, well, anybody with... Uh, Icicles in her mustache. I'm going to vote for her. So, <laughs> so that's that's how soon I started my door to door. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I 
election, on election night, Randy Shepard, who was a Republican. Uh, we became somewhat friends during the campaign, or at least we talked to each other during the campaign and didn't and got along pretty well. Yeah. And uh, he invited me to his party of his uh, co-workers, uh, his workers and supporters the night, the night before the election. And I told him I would love to go, but I'm afraid I have to, have to do door-to-door. <laughs> and so I did door-to-door that uh, that night. Could have gone to Randy's party. But, uh, wow. And as it turned out, I, I won just by an eyelash, so I guess it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it worked out, yeah. Uh, what was your first election day like? Basically, uh, just... passing out a little, a little card that I had printed for that purpose. And uh, went to the Democrat headquarters on election night and to wait the results to come in. And uh, and it was back and forth all night long until uh, it looked like I won yeah. uh, uh, that night. But then woke up the next morning and the news said that uh, I got third place out of the four. And so I was somewhat surprised by that. Yeah. But, um, but then by the end, of the, by that afternoon, they had me in first place. Oh my gosh! And, uh, and I don't know what, how that mistake happened, but they had me in first place. And then my running mate, who they had, who ended up being third, demanded a recount. And then Randy, who got fourth, ended up demanding a recount. So it was several weeks before I knew whether I won or not. Yeah, and when you and I said there was some mistakes made, yeah, one precinct, which is the most Republican precinct in my district, um, they didn't have my name on the ballot. Oh my gosh! And uh, they had the Republicans and and uh, and but not the, not the two Democrats. They had, they had two Democrats, but it was from another district. They had wrong demo, wrong state representative Democrats on the ballot. So wow, they had to throw the whole precinct out. So I ended up picking up several hundred votes in that one precinct because they threw it out. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and there was another precinct where uh, I had, they had me perceivable votes. And I thought, well, goodness, you know, even the most unpopular person in the world is going to get a vote or two. And so I ended up, I think, picking up six or 80 votes there too. They just didn't try, they used to go to the back of the machine and, and they would announce the numbers and someone else would write them down. Yeah, uh, they they had written my votes on the wrong line, so it was just a mistake. But uh, yeah, but nevertheless, when they corrected that, I ended up with you know I think it's eighty or ninety votes, and uh, that uh, that's a big big jump. Sure. Uh, they, yeah. Everyone keeps talking about the old machine being a uh, uh, a lot better. They're they're not. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mistakes are made because human beings make mistakes. Right. Naturally. Yeah. And so, how did it feel when you finally discovered that you were yeah, that you won? Well, needless to say, I was on cloud nine. It was uh, it was uh, exciting. And, uh, yeah, I I came from a very poor background and, uh, to uh, to being a state representative, and I'd never been in Indianapolis or never been to the state house before. So it's yeah, an exciting thing too. Sure. And, uh, Jeff Hayes advised me uh, on what to do and what not to do. And 
show me where the bathroom's at and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But uh, what was it like to? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. What was it like to walk into the state house your first day in office? Well, it was um, very. You know, it was. I. It was. You know, the the granite. The the, the columns were beautiful. The the building was. I thought was beautiful. Even though back then it was in really terrible shape. Yeah. It, was, uh, it, it allowed the state house to deteriorate something awful. But nevertheless, for me, it was exciting and a beautiful, beautiful building and. Sure. With all these other legislators that had experience from all over Indiana, and uh, they they immediately were trying to encourage because we got you know, it was also you know I, I won it was one of the big reasons I won is because it was Watergate too. I worked my butt off. Yeah. It was also Watergate. Okay. And, uh, a lot of Democrats that uh, weren't supposed to win got elected that year, and uh, my running mate who didn't work. Uh, uh, he he lost, and uh, it was, because the difference is I worked and he didn't. He had okay. name ID, too, because he had pre- previously held political office in, in Vanderbilt County. And, yeah. But the difference was the hard work, and uh, and uh, and also Watergate was helpful, too. Yeah. And, there were, and also there was a, another local issue on the ballot that year, and uh, that was the issue of consolidation of city-county government, and, uh, and I opposed it, and... Uh, both the Republicans in my district uh, uh, supported it, and uh, it went down, I think, by a three-to-one vote. So I'm, I'm sure I picked up a lot of Republican farmers that voted for me for that reason. Right. Uh, the rural part of the district really opposed it, and there was a lot of rural area in my district then. And uh, but but anyhow, as I was saying earlier, I we uh, we had leadership race with all the new Democrats. We were in the majority. And uh, and they were uh, there were people that were courting us to vote for them for leadership and uh, and we had a person in our area running for uh, I think it was majority leader Mike Phillips and uh, so Mike uh, won and then Paul uh, Phil Bainbridge was running for Speaker of the House and uh, uh, Jeff Hayes encouraged me to vote for him I didn't know either one of them that well I knew Mike. Uh, as we're from the same county, but uh, I didn't know him well. And uh, Jeff uh, encouraged me to vote for Phil, which helped. I got some fairly decent committee assignments, probably not the best, but uh, yeah. I didn't know what to ask for. But uh, anyhow, they, uh, 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 that was kind of nice being uh, wooed to support different people for, for uh, legislative leadership. Yeah, okay. Now, with each re-election that you had, did your feelings about serving as a legislator change at all? Or uh, I I enjoyed campaigning. Okay. I, obviously, uh, uh, that's one thing in order to be successful, you got to enjoy. Especially, I always had a Republican district for the first, I think, uh, eighteen years. I had a very Republican district. And uh, after the first reapportionment, uh, it got more Republican. And so all but, I think, one time uh, I had a, um, 
I had a, a challenger, a Republican challenger. One time I didn't have a Republican, but I had a Libertarian challenger, so that was a pretty easy one. Okay. But uh, after, but my margins got more. Well, I don't think I had a close election after the first two right. elections. After that, the margin got larger and larger, and then then Democrats the last reapportionment, uh, last two reapportionments, so we were in the majority, so my district became more Democratic, and that made it easier. But I still campaigned. Yeah. And, uh, I know I, there, there was one election, I, did, I didn't have any, that was when there, we had a Democratic district, and and I, I didn't have an opponent that that election at all, not even Libertarian. Wow. But, um, so anyway, I, I always enjoyed campaigning, so I, it was not a problem for me. I, uh, there were some elections where some of the, there was a lot of negative. Back when the when the Tea Party developed, for example, it was there were a lot of, of negative campaigning against me, which I didn't particularly like. But uh, uh, that's the way politics changed over the years. Sure. Did you? And was one of the reasons I ended up leaving. Is I guess when I got tired of. Oh really? Okay. Uh, long time yes it was did your campaign strategies change at all with the different elections you took part in or well as, as I could afford yeah uh, as you know over the years uh, I when I was targeted a few times uh, Republicans spent a, a lot of money to beat me and so I had to raise a lot more money yeah and so I had to have constantly had to fund fundraiser uh, have fundraisers and and so that changed and, and been less door-to-door uh, campaigning. I always did the door-to-door campaigning, and I always went to the um, the county fair and different, different uh, community, community, community social events, too. Yeah. So that, that uh, the, the, there was less time to do those, and you had to have constantly had to fundraisers, and, and that, that part changed, and I... I did not like that part. I, I seemed like when you run every two years, you've got to constantly ask people for contributions. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that makes politics a lot less fun. Right. Sure. Um, when you were serving in the General Assembly for the first time, what were your expectations for the legislative process, and was it more or less complicated than you expected? Uh, it was. Uh, in some ways, it was. Uh, in fact, it was. It, it was. It was more complex than I thought. I thought you'd just uh, talk about uh, how important your bill was and how <laughs> yeah. uh, how, how how needed change. But uh, and the other people would see the righteousness of your calls and support you. But uh, uh, I realized after a while there were, there was a, a lot of politics <laughs> that uh, quite often Democrats. Uh, at least in the initial years in the legislature, other than the first two, yeah. uh, the majority of the first two years. But after that, we're in the minority for years. And the uh, Republicans basically, and uh, sometimes we get bills to the Senate and they wouldn't even see the light, wouldn't even get a committee hearing. Right. Uh, that, that was frustrating, but uh, 
then I, I learned a, another way of getting your bills through, and that would be the amendment process where you would amend a Republican bill with your language and just said that then you only have to talk to a couple, three people uh, to get them to accept your language. They would, uh, if they liked the issue, why well, they often did. And yeah. I would get the concept through, even though I, my name was sometimes not on the bill. But that's, you know, that's the part when you serve years in the minority, you, you learn to accept. I think a lot of people now, uh, they don't understand that, and they're more concerned about getting the getting recognized by doing the bill than, than accomplishing the goal. And also sometimes uh, uh, um, people don't, they want to change change it immediately and they don't believe in incremental change. And sometimes uh, uh, in the state of Indiana, you got maybe you have to do a little bit this year, a little bit the following year, a little bit after that. And uh, I think the confidence of knowing that I could be reelected after a couple of terms uh, I was willing to, to keep plugging away with the incremental change. Yeah. And, uh, as opposed to changing the world one spell swoop. I think maybe when I first was elected, I thought I could do that, but uh, not the Indiana legislature. Yeah, I understand. And, and I never, I, I never served uh, with the Democrats in control in the Senate. Well, the, two years I did, yes. The two years the Democrats had the Senate, but uh, they lost it immediately. But with the two years the Democrats had the Senate, the Republicans had the House, so... So, uh, right. uh, Republicans usually, you know, have the House and the Senate, so they, they have a big advantage in getting their legislative ideas through. Yeah. But I, I never served with us having both the House and the Senate. And they usually have House, Senate, and the governor like they have right now. Yeah, true, yeah. In fact, they have super majorities, too, and have for quite some time. Um, what about when interacting with your constituents? What was that like? Well, um, when I was first elected, I had never given a speech. So uh, mm, okay. uh, that, that was interesting. Yeah. And, I remember the first TV interview I did was uh, with the local, I think it was Channel 14, the NBC affiliate. Mm-hmm. David James was the person that interviewed me. And uh, uh, I kind of panicked during the asking the first question. Okay. And uh, it was, I was kind of repeating myself repeatedly and uh, rambling. So he basically stopped the interview and said, uh, figure uh, take a couple of breaths, a deep breath, and get a glass of water here, and we'll do this again. So he was very courteous. And wow, okay, yeah. Un- understood. And I don't know that you're always going to see that. Yeah. And, uh, and But I always re- respected David. Uh, still do. He's retired now, though. Yeah. But, uh, but anyhow, that, um, uh, that was candidate interviews. And, uh, he, I'm sure that they were interviews individual, not as... Uh, and, uh, had individual interviews and not uh, group. So uh, I think my Republican opponents would not have liked the fact that <laughs> let me start do it again or start over. Right. But he did. I appreciated that. But anyhow, as I was saying, I, I was not uh, a good speaker, shall we say. And uh, uh, my one of my opponents, Randy, was a 
was an attorney, and uh, he was uh, on the debate team uh, in high school and college, and they would say it was very good. Uh, but he came across as a little, uh, not, uh, I'm trying to be uh, courteous here, uh, basically not not like the the average person could not identify with Oh, uh, okay, yeah. And uh, although, uh, as I said, he was, I think one-on-one he was okay, but uh, he just did not come across as, uh, to the to a lot of people. And, uh, but uh, he, uh, but later on I got a lot more experience and I didn't mind uh, talking to people and uh, I hated saying the same thing over and over again, so I did not usually use uh, prepared speeches, so I basically winged it for the most part. Right. And I've always done that. And, uh, and I, we have, when we have legislative forums, meet your legislators, we have, we all used to have all the time, usually every other week, uh, when we came home during session. I enjoyed those because it gave me a chance to talk to the, my constituents, and sometimes they were out for blood, but, uh, I always enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the back and forth, and sometimes the uh, give and take, and the competition. Uh, sure. And I, with the, with the other with my colleagues there, the Republican colleagues, and where where you could challenge each other. I always enjoyed that, and it was fun. A lot of legislators don't like that, and uh, uh, but I didn't have a problem with that, and I enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, I think that was my um, favorite part of the. Uh, Running uh, and being a legislator, um, which was meeting your constituents on the weekends, uh, talking about the issues and uh, and and this, and as I said, the competition with the Republican members that also came. And it's one of the things I I think I miss more because it seems like uh, uh, in fact uh, 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 it seems like my, there's no one cares about my opinion anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, Back then, uh, it was you know I came, I one thing about politicians we have an opinion on about everything so sure and uh, and I enjoyed expressing that opinion on, on very even the controversial issues sometimes uh, someone would ask talk about a really controversial subject and and they'd say uh, which led to do do it they wanted want to respond and I usually had a response and uh, and sometimes it was. Uh, uh, a good response, and sometimes it did not make the constituent happy. But, uh, but I think they appreciate the fact that I had an opinion, and a lot of legislators didn't even respond. Yeah, true. Yeah, probably. And uh, that that offends, I think, offends even the constituent that asks the controversial questions, or the more than a response that they might he or she might disagree with. Yeah. Okay. Um. Do you remember the first bill that you sponsored? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, it came along. Uh, I think repealing the referendum for city-county consolidation, it was, uh, uh, that was a very minor issue. We had a referendum, and it, would come, it could have come up every two years, but that one was, I think, first. And then... Uh, uh, the rape shield was the first bill of substance that I think, uh, yeah, I think it was, that passed and became law. I 
forgot about that. But uh, there was um, a, a very controversial issue of a, a person that was on trial for rape. Okay. And when the when the victim testified, uh, she was uh, her her past sexual conduct was admissible. And so they basically talked about her sexual experiences and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, there was a TV program on also called A Case of Rape, I believe, hmm. okay. about that time. And uh, Elizabeth Montgomery, I think, was the victim. Uh, but anyhow, um, uh, it, it was a way that defense attorneys, things they used to defend their clients and, uh, uh, and by attacking the victim. As a, uh, as a as almost as she deserved it. Wow. Uh, because, uh, so anyhow, I passed a law that uh, that said that a woman's previous sexual history is inadmissible evidence in a rape trial. Yeah. Okay. And that, and it passed and became law. Yeah. And uh, uh, to me, it made a lot of sense, and it still does, and it's still law too. A few years after that. Um, there was a, a, ca- a case in Evansville where uh, they were trying this guy for rape, and the judge allowed uh, evidence to be admitted about one of the witnesses of her sexual conduct. And because apparently this, the rapist previously raped this witness, so they used her as a, um, uh, in the trial as a witness. Uh, you know, show the guys clearly for, for raping women. So anyhow, they uh, uh, the judge allowed her uh, evidence. So I introduced a bill also saying that witnesses uh, past sexual conduct is inadmissible evidence in a rape trial. But that became law too. So I, I've had I forgot I had that second rape bill, rape shield law too. It's called a rape shield. Okay. And uh, that's pretty much law in most states, if not all, throughout the country now. Wow. Okay. At that time, we were we weren't first, but we were one of the early states to pass a law like that. And what year was it passed? That would have been seventy-five. Seventy-five. Okay. Yeah. So. It was my first year. Yeah. Early on. Wow. And uh, I remember um, the uh, guy named John Thomas was my uh, co-author. He was a Republican lawyer from Brazil, Indiana, and uh, and I think. John, you know, being a, he was on chairman of the judiciary or at the time we were in the majority, but he was ranking member of the judiciary. Uh, he probably could have been the author of that bill, but he uh, was very courteous and let me uh, keep it. And then, um, uh, the, the less of all was the Senate uh, uh, chair, judiciary chairman. He heard the bill, and, and uh, I think it. Or, uh, and I think John Thomas had a lot to do with getting less to hear the bill, too. So you have to develop a, a, a alliances with Republican members. Sure. Uh, the legislature, that's two people that uh, helped me that the first time. And very, as I said back then, it was not uh, life and death. Uh, people were very, uh, we worked together, and I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, so that, that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, what were the interactions like between members of the General Assembly from opposite parties? Well, you know, I 
I, I had several what I considered to be friends that yeah. were, were Republican members. And I mentioned Ray Richardson, who was right. from uh, Rush, Rushville, Indiana. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, he went home every night. Uh, he didn't do the social scene. And, uh, and Steve Moberly from Shelbyville. But uh, he also went home every night. But uh, uh, but since they were the close to Indianapolis, well, those people that, uh, like myself, three over a three-hour drive for, for me. But uh, it, uh, both, uh, they, I've been involved with them because of the government restructuring, and, and Ray is a, a pretty progressive, was pretty progressive Republican, as was Steve. So we co-authored a lot of each other's bills and laws over the years. And, uh, but we uh, developed a friendship, and I, I hope that's still the case, but I sometimes wonder. Yeah. I've not been, been, been in the legislature since 2010, though. Right. Did you see over time in, like, the 80s and 90s and then the 2000s, did you see a change in the interactions between Democrats and Republicans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I, there was a constant, uh, and I think a lot of it had to do with the uh, with the, the way that campaigns changed. I think it started the year that, uh, that got, I don't know what started, but uh, it got worse when uh, 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 the Republican that became Speaker of the House uh, at the federal level, uh, mm-hmm. Dick Gingrich, when he uh, started his tactics of uh, uh, in the U.S. Congress, and it seemed like we had Republicans in the Indiana legislature that tried to do the same thing, and then okay. it was basically they would introduce amendments just to embarrass the members of the other party. And, uh, and uh, I, over the years, we did the same thing. We had members that would do the same thing. Okay. And uh, and and it it was a weapon uh, that was used to to make it. Uh, more difficult for the uh, other party. And I, I was, I think, I remember, I've, I've introduced some amendments that, that had a little bit to do with that too. Like in, I used to introduce environmental amendments that yeah. uh, and Republicans seemed like they were always against uh, environmental issues. And so I would introduce environmental issues and then we were in the minority and so they would have to vote them down. And, uh, and so I, I, I guess I was a little bit guilty of that myself. But I was—I really believe in the environmental issues, though. Right, right. Too often, legislators don't really care about the issue; they just want to embarrass the members of the other party. Wow. Okay. So, some of it's just personal attacks. And not, not necessarily personal attacks; just introducing something that, for example, uh, to introducing an abortion amendment uh, on a bill. Okay. And sometimes scuttled scuttle the bill if it gets on. Yeah. And, and sometimes uh, in order to force members of the other party to vote against it or for it, and uh, depending on the person's position, so those kind of things. And, and sometimes it's to get, uh, um, if it's a bill that they want, that, um, that will make it... Uh, Hello? I forget what, what we call that uh, poison pill. Yeah, we put a poison pill on the bill. Uh, I'm sorry. Could you could you repeat that last couple of sentences? The the connection I guess broke uh, off for a bit. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, no worries. Uh, it, it, 
reception broke off. I would, as I said, sometimes we put uh, legislators would put amendments onto bills right. that would make it difficult for the bill to pass uh, in the, either in the second house, the Senate, or the House, and we you know we call that a poison pill. Yeah. Okay. Where we introduce something that's controversial, and uh, I'm afraid that happens too. Yeah. Um, what about the interactions between people in the House and Senate? Did you notice any differences between members of the House and Senate? Um, you know, I we really did not, I don't think we developed much of a relationship with members of the second House. They, okay. Uh, but we did. You know, there were a few members that we would... Uh, uh, develop friendships with, but uh, usually members uh, from our part of the state. Uh, right. Sure the Republicans uh, from Indianapolis knew the Republicans from Indianapolis a lot more than uh, Repu- Democrat uh, than members from the uh, from Evansville. But and I'm, but I'm sure senators, uh, you know, since they were only 50 of them in the same room uh, all day, could develop a better relationship than they did with House members. But we're in session usually at the same time, sometimes late into the evenings. Okay. But, um, but anyhow, it, uh, I, uh, we 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 have to, do, of course, know some members because you want to get your bills heard, and uh, so we uh, and we don't like uh, attacking one another. But uh, that happens too. Sure. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Um, and what did you think of the process when it came to generating a bill? Well, um, I don't, uh, there, there are control issues that I have problems with, uh, and that I always have had problems with is the committee chairman, um, can kill a bill just by not hearing it. Okay. Just, you know, and also the leadership, uh, can kill it by just not signing it to a committee or signing it to a committee that they have control over. And uh, in fact, uh, they can uh, sometimes they can sign it to a committee and then give notice to a call the committee chairman and say don't hear that bill. And, uh, and if they want to have bills signed to the committee, they're going to follow the, follow the speaker's uh, orders on that. And I'm afraid I've lost bills for that reason. Oh really? Okay. But, uh, um, but they, uh, it's very frustrating that leadership has such domination of the legislative process. And uh, but uh, I, I like the process of you know getting the, the debate in committee, the discussion in committee, getting witnesses. I, I always enjoyed that. But uh, um, I, I, lo- I like the, the amendment process too. Where you can, or if your bill dies or your language dies, you can find a new home for it. They're saying is it ain't over till it's over. Right. And uh, sometimes the bill uh, doesn't get a hearing or is not is not passed in the House and it goes to the Senate and the Senate doesn't hear it. So you, in conference committee or in the House, you look for another place to put your language or or, or part of your language. And uh, sometimes you don't want it to be the exact language because they'll say it's a bill pending in committee, even though it's not pending because the committee chairman's refusing to hear it. True. But, uh, um, 
but anyhow, you find a new home for your language, and uh, I've done that so many times and uh, over the years, and just find a new home, and uh, that's why. I, and I like the conference committee part where you reconcile differences between the House and Senate versions of the bill, and that's where you normally try to put your language that it, when it fails in one place or the other. But, uh, if the committee sometimes, if you can develop opposition to the bill uh, in your body that they know if they have to accept your language if they want it to pass. Yeah, okay. There was a woman named Virginia Blankenbecker. She refused to accept my language and uh, on her bill, and mm -hmm. she had a good bill. But I had some language I wanted to put into it, and she refused to accept it. And she said, well, uh, you want to kill the bill? And I said, well, I guess I am then. So I left and uh, the meeting, and uh, and she then con contacted me to let me know that my language was acceptable after all. Wow, so okay. And uh, that, that was, uh, it was, it was for another senator, but, uh, and Richard Young, but, uh, uh, but I was, uh, uh, I guess I felt more strongly about uh, uh my bill, but uh, I was let it, willing to let it die because she was refusing to even consider this other guy's language. Yeah. Yeah. It all worked out. I'm not sure. Uh, in the end, if I might have backed down too, she backed down before I did, though. <laughs> <laughs> what was the process like when it came to trying to get support for a bill? Well, that's that's uh, important because you got to think about who supports your bill. For, I, I dealt over the years with a lot of the children's issues. Yeah. And, uh, and um, um, I, I talked about the child abuse bill uh, that passed after four years, but there were constant amendments to it. And I constantly changed it and added features, and uh, whether it be the guardian ad litem or the court-appointed special advocate or what they call CASA, I, I added that and then I had the versions of that. So I had to call people that were concerned about whether it be the, the various children's groups, uh, uh, social service groups, yeah. uh, sometimes the prosecuting attorneys, sometimes uh, insurance agencies. Uh, I dealt with some, like a motorcycle helmet, I, I tried to reintroduce a motorcycle helmet bill. And so I actually worked with the insurance industry on that one they agreed with me on that one with the nurses association and medical association on that one it did i lost that one but uh, but nevertheless you had to look for possible allies and call them and get them to come in as witnesses sure. sometimes they didn't want to be a witness because they didn't want to defend offend people on the other side or the committee chairman but uh, uh but anyhow you did your best to get witnesses and and if you didn't have witnesses, you probably weren't going to be as successful. Yeah, definitely. That was not necessary to have witnesses because it was a, a common sense motherhood and apple pie issues. And they happened on the case too. Right. How was uh, legislative business conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings? Well, um, 
basically one-on-one communication yeah. uh, with with uh, your your colleagues and members of the the House and members of the Senate and uh, and the groups that lobby one side or the other. Uh, you you know, they were all usually standing in the hall, so or in the lobby. Right. So they were av- readily available. Uh, so uh, and also you, you you had communications of newsletters and. Uh, uh, which to talk about uh, the issues that uh, anymore it seems like newsletters or something prepared by some ad agency. They okay. don't really say anything other than promoting a couple of hot-button issues. And they're really just a waste of taxpayer dollars. And, uh, I used to sometimes write my own newsletters. Sometimes they were page after page. I'm sure most people didn't read them, but I... Uh, uh, do my own newsletters, and then uh, one thing that's changed also over the years is that staffing. We, they they have hit large staffs now. Yeah. Uh, that we used to not have hardly any staff. Uh, we had you know a few people, but uh, I think I shared a legislative assistant with something like four other legislators for years. Wow. And, uh, but I don't got any Mike Thrall, who I've not seen in years. I need to. Oh, yeah. Hope to help. See how he's doing. Yeah, okay. Uh, when it came to voting on legislation, did you have a good idea of how people would vote before they actually voted? On many issues, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, but a lot of issues you don't know until it's over. Yeah. I remember one time, my first, first child abuse bill that I did, um, um, I didn't know, I knew it would be, it would be close because the conservative Christian community was opposed to it. Yeah. Uh, um, they, um, they were fighting it because they, or one minister was quoted as saying, uh, the blueness of the bruise cleanses the way evil. And I always remember that quote. So he was basically saying, the more you beat your child, the more you show your love your child. So, mm, okay, wow. Anyhow, they, they were opposed to it, so I was, was Republicans being so conservative, I was concerned that uh, that uh, it might not pass. But there was a guy named Mendel Adams that got up and gave a speech. And I, I uh, he was uh, my last speaker. And he talked about his abuse as a child. And, uh, there were people in tears. Wow. In fact, I was. And uh, then, uh, the, I think it's Speaker, or I think Mike Phillips, the majority leader, said, you're not closing. That's that's good enough. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I didn't, and uh, it was. It, uh, I, I would, couldn't have been any stronger than that. So, so anyhow, he... Uh, uh, I passed. It passed that year. It, it didn't pass the Senate because the Senate refused to give it a hearing. But nevertheless, that was uh, shows that sometimes a speaker uh, will will carry the day for you. Yeah. And uh, I, as I said, I didn't think I'd, it would actually pass because of the opposition. But uh, it passed the House, as that they were successful in killing it in the Senate. But it it, it did pass a couple years after that. In the Senate too. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
how influential was party leadership when it came to what legislation got passed or not? Very influential. Okay. Probably more than anything else. Okay. Wow. They, they, I'm not, you know, not necessarily more than anything, but they're very, very influential. Leadership, basically, they, they determine what bills you, where the bills go in committee. They determine uh, what, uh, what, what we vote on. They, they do the calendar. And, uh, so they pretty much dominate the process. And, uh, one of the frustrations that I've always had as a legislator is that the leadership pretty much controlled everything. And uh, I, I worry that uh, a lot of that's determined by contributions, too. Okay. And, uh, that that uh, sometimes you, uh, you see issues that have no support in the community, but because powerful interests like utility companies... Yeah. They electric companies. These issues just don't go away. They come back, uh, and whether it be uh, uh, an issue allowing uh, utilities to charge. Drink of water here. Losing my voice here. Yeah, no worries. Charge for construction work in progress, uh, uh, even though it's not not on. It's not completed yet, but they can charge. Pass it on to the consumer, and it's something that I always was against. But they, they those kind of issues just never go away. And uh, because I, I, we all know utility companies contribute a lot of money yep. to political campaigns of both parties, uh, and so you, you wonder why. And uh, whether it be the uh, liquor industry, all the same thing, insurance industry, ins- medical industry, the. Uh, they seem to have a, a disproportionate voice in, in government, and uh, um, and a lot of people's groups don't they get get ignored. And, well, the the manufacturer association, the chamber of commerce, and uh, they have various major organizations. They just have huge voices. Mm-hmm. A lot of licensure groups that. Uh, Big membership. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, how did the legislative service affect your family life? Very hard. It's uh, because you're gone so much. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know, not just not just. Uh, uh, time you're in the legislature, but when you're back home, you got something uh, about every night. you got to go to meetings, uh, yep. uh, political political events, and constant fundraising. And, uh, at least the fundraising in latter years so I was in the legislature became more demanding and raised more money. It's the cost of campaigning. Sure. But, no, it's, it's, a, it's a, a problem. And uh, I wouldn't uh, uh, it's, uh, and I, I don't know how you're going to get around that, but because uh, it, it uh, the time is, uh, is such a demand. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, what were the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the assembly? 
Well, I think the issue of abortion has always been yeah. an uh, issue of abortion, issues of guns. Uh, for Democrats, they're very controversial because, uh, you know, most Democrats are pro-choice. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, my part of the state, that was not the case, though. Most Democrats in the southern part of the state were right-to-life Democrats. Mm-hmm. And not all, not all, but uh, uh, and, and then most Democrats believe in doing something about guns. Yeah. But, uh, but it, Republicans have their own issues uh, down here. Southern Indiana, over the years, when I was in the legislature, organized labor uh, was very influential. And Republicans were always under under a lot of pressure, and there weren't too many Republicans in the southern part of the state. Yeah. But now the Republicans dominate the southern part of the state. I, yeah. I don't know how that's changed, but it's changed. There are, I think, there's one Democrat legislator in all of southwestern Indiana now, and it used to be there there were um, uh, they were almost done. Yeah, that's there, interesting. There used to be Democrats controlled the southwestern Indiana. Speaker of the House in southwestern Indiana. And uh, now, as I said, there's there's only one uh, from Evansville and all the southwest Indiana, in fact. I can't think of, I guess Bloomington would be the next uh, Democrat legislator. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one over around Seymour, somewhere over in that area, too. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. What legislation would you say that you worked on was the most complex? Uh, I think, I can't, I'm trying to think. I, I had a bill dealing with um, recycling and waste, and that was huge, very complex. Okay. And I, I think I, it was unnecessarily complex. And, uh, and I had trouble explaining it. Yeah. So that was that was difficult. But most of the issues that I dealt with were were not that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I understood them, and that's when I didn't uh, understand the, all the ramifications of it. And uh, it got to the Senate, though, but it didn't get out of the Senate committee. And uh, but I always um, and I had a bill, another bill, uh, dealing with uh, emissions. Um, uh, waste emissions that uh, requiring the state to, to uh, uh, reduce certain emissions and and I I, I had I had to build a mercury one time another thing lead and those were complex because I think mainly I didn't understand the issues uh, mm-hmm. but I, I understood I understood them enough to know that I was I was an environmentalist I wanted to clean up the environment but I wasn't exactly sure how to, to bring it about. Right. And, uh, uh, so that that um, that made that made it difficult, and uh, the the lead bill became law, and the, the mercury bill became law. But uh, to reduce, because you know, it's, I, I I guess other legislators say, oh, that's a good idea. Then no one, I didn't have that much. I had good witnesses. That's what what carried both those bills. But a guy named Tom, something, you know, Tom Glassman. Hmm, okay. He was a really good witness. So he uh, represented a children's, children's 
uh, environmental group trying to make health, life healthier for children. And uh, so he was such a good witness that he was helping me, help me get those two bills through. And, but his witnesses are very important. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah, my wife would just remind me of a foster care bill that I carried. And oh, okay. She, that required that the state could offer foster care to 21. And, uh, oh, uh, yeah. She was, and I made her testify. She liked, I don't think she wanted to testify, but she was one of encouraged me, one mm-hmm. of them that encouraged me to do it. She was a part of a group, and so she became one of my witnesses and did a wonderful job. Yeah, okay, that's great. Did that bill get passed? Oh, yes, it did. It okay. Did. The, the, the Welfare Department or Department of Families and Social Services at the time, mm-hmm. they interpreted it in such a way it took a few years before uh, they actually enforced the law, though. Okay. They, uh, uh, the director at the time believed he, could, he didn't have to do anything. Uh, he didn't want to do but anyhow, the people there now, I think, are actually doing it now. It, uh, it keeps kids out of, off, off the street and homeless, helps with issues of homelessness. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And what year was that? I'm not sure what year that was. Uh, I just remember, she remembers things like that. She's my, uh, my, my, my brain. It's 2008. Okay, 2008. All right. Yeah. Um, let's see. What would you say was your proudest moment as a legislator? I, I was, you know, of course, obviously the issue is the child abuse bill becoming law. That's that's very important and very, it was a, probably one of the most significant bills that I helped dealt with. The first bill with Rape Shield. Uh, major first major bill that was important, but the issue that it did not it became it passed in Indiana, but never was a reality. Was uh, but it was such an important battle over the years as the Equal Rights Amendment. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, amend the, to amend the Constitution, uh, uh, recognizing equality of rights for women. Uh, that was hugely important. And something that I was so proud of, and, uh, and that that passed in Indiana, I think it was the last state to ratify yeah. the Equal Rights Amendment. Never, never got enough votes to make it a reality. Right. But, uh, uh, but anyhow, it, uh, that was something that we were all, all those of us that were involved in it, were very proud of. Yeah. Sure. We had a, I don't know if you saw the movie just recently with a uh, 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 woman that was uh, leading the opposition called Stop ERA, uh, Phyllis Schlafly. There was a movie just recently about her, and oh. I met her uh, yeah. when she was in Indiana at the hearing. She, in fact, she chastised me because I was uh, uh, wearing a pro-ERA button, and I was a member of the committee. Uh, so she thought that I already had my mind made up. I told her I did. I was uh, yeah. campaigning in support of the Equal Rights Amendment, and I wasn't going to change my mind right. uh, after I got elected. 
So, uh, yeah, she chastised me for having my mind made up already. <laughs> but uh, but that, that was a, a real fun uh, camp, a fun issue to, to debate over the years. Yeah. And that, that's back when Democrats and Republicans supported the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, okay. We had a, a number of important Republicans that were co-authoring and co-sponsoring it. Yeah. Uh, there were Democrats that opposed it, so uh, it was uh, an ideological issue, but not a partisan issue. And uh, so, uh, and also, people could uh, reason. Seems like uh, based on the importance of the issue and the quality of the issue, and not not the partisanship. And, uh, right. Anyhow, that uh, that was something I was really proud to be a part of. I was not the author of it or the sponsor of it. But uh, I was very much involved as a member of the committee and, and, and as a member of the community and someone that debated it during the campaign and campaigned on it. So it was important. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about the biggest hurdle you had to overcome during your time in office? Well, obviously getting elected the first time. But yeah, sure. Uh, but... Um, I don't know. It, over the years, I think the child abuse issue was a constant battle for several years. Okay. And uh, um, uh, having the support of the governor and or the opposition of the governor initially, and then the governor changed his position and and it, and it became law, and then constantly changing it, not not changing the direction, but just uh, making an incremental change to make it better. And adding elements and uh, uh, to the bill, as I said, when we created the CASA, the Court Appointed Special Advocate, was a program to to get uh, volunteers to help uh, be advocates for children that are abused or neglected. Uh, those those adding those elements to it over the years uh, uh, was important, and I know. The, uh, there were a number of children's organizations that uh, worked with me on those issues, and, uh, 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 which were largely responsible and very helpful in becoming a reality. Right. And those are those. That's a really complex issue too. I, I know. I it's something that uh, uh, initially I didn't understand the depth of. Uh, what you had to know to debate and argue those issues, but over the years, I became somewhat uh, expert on on the way the system worked. And I remember I used to sit down with uh, Governor By to ask him to veto a bill, um, and, it, and I explained why it needed to be vetoed, and uh, he did veto it. And uh, uh, it was, I can't remember there was someone who was trying to. Un- undue elements of the child abuse laws dealing with the best interests of the child. And uh, it's, an issue, it's a part that I always work with. Uh, children should be uh, kept in a home or removed from a home based on the best interests of the child. Sure. And not necessary to preservation of the family unit. Right. And so, but it's an issue that we made some improvement, but we that, that haven't totally, did not totally change that. Yeah, okay. And so, how long would you say you were working on, on the child abuse legislation? Like, how many years do you think this process of 
trying to get bills. Probably, probably all thirty-six. Wow. Okay. So are there like things that just different aspects of the problem? Uh-huh. Yeah. Whether it be homelessness, yep. uh, which is an issue, whether it be uh, uh, foster care, whether uh, the guardian ad litem, that's an attorney that represents the, uh, the interest of the child in court, whether it be a CASA, court-appointed special advocate, some volunteers to represent the interest of the child outside of the courtroom, um, whether uh, it be the re- reporting law, uh, creating the child protection service, the child protection team, yep. all, all these things uh, over the years, uh, whether it be uh, evidence uh, requiring gathering of evidence and uh, who will pay for it, uh, as I said, homelessness, and, uh, and, and there are several elements of that that we had to deal with uh, over the years. And, uh, but uh, it's, you know, there would be people that would call me uh, prior to every session and say, I want you to look at this particular thing. And there was a woman named Becky Pryor from Annapolis, and she was ahead of a, a child children's group. And, uh, and I dealt with so many issues uh, that she brought to my attention. And, uh, and then I had local people here at Evansville that did the same thing. And, uh, but they were, uh, uh, that was something I, did. I was involved with probably the the full 36 years, my first bill dealing on that subject didn't pass until the fourth bill, fourth year. It passed the House a couple times, but it got to the Senate the fourth year. But uh, but anyhow, it's it's those are that's an issue that really you know if I were still there, I'd probably come up with things that need to be done. Yeah. That because it, it's something just an issue that doesn't go away there as long as. <clears throat> Children are dying for abuse or neglect. There's going to be a need to see why it happened. Sure. Uh, yeah. Issues of ado- adoption, that's an issue too. I remember one time I, dealt, I had a bill that um, some people we knew had adopted a child um, to the welfare department. They used to call the welfare department. And uh, the welfare department uh, didn't inform the people of the serious problems this child had. Until the child, I think, tried to kill their pets. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! So they, so they returned the child to the welfare department. Can you imagine the trauma, trauma for the parents that did that, or the child? Yeah. Tossed, thrown back. Yeah. And it's because the, the parents, the people that adopted this child, didn't have the slightest idea what they were getting into. Right. And so I required, had a bill to require that. The department to fully disclose all of the uh, health and mental psychiatric treatment and, and all the issues that health issues for the child about the child, and that passed and became law. And uh, my wit my witnesses were the parents that did it, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the department tried to find it, and, uh, and uh, my Republicans were furious uh, that the department uh, that their own Republican welfare department. Were, Fighting that, so I had some real allies. Yeah, that just makes wow. so much sense. Yeah, and so that's those are the kind of issues that you know come come up every year that you're in the legislature, and people bring issues to your attention that you never dreamed was a problem. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Wow. Um, 
let's see. Uh, I have some questions about some legislation I, I read that you had some involvement in uh, that I did some research on and, and found in some of the old newspapers in our archives and stuff. Uh, uh, I read that there was some criticism of, of uh, short sessions that you might have had. Is that true? Where you want? Okay. Where you want? I, I, you know, it's. I, I. I always had. I never liked short sessions because. Uh, yeah. Uh, there just isn't enough time to deal with the important issues, and uh, and um, in fact, I. I believe that the legislature should be a, a more professional legislature. Okay. Yeah. And in uh, uh, longer. Uh, uh, and I don't necessarily believe it should be full time, but uh, but it seems like you go up there and uh, you expect. And, you know, they say it's only for emergency issues uh, mm -hmm. and budgetary issues that we need to correct from the long session. But it's far more than that. It's just a shorter session, and uh, I know I, I was I introduced bills that uh, were not an emergency. I know, and uh, so did all the other legislators, at least right. that, that I'm aware of. And uh, but uh, but it is the legislature certainly uh, uh, the, the staffing group uh, and leadership and lobbyist and and the administrative branch. They pretty much. Spoon feed legislators what needs to be done, and mm -hmm. uh, and the short session is uh, is even worse because they don't we don't have time to deal with these important issues. We didn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also read about some statement you made about maybe trying to reform the electoral college, or in some way. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I believe that we should have a direct election mm -hmm. for president, but uh, uh, I'm trying to figure what I did on that. Uh, uh, Patty said I did assignment of electoral votes by congressional district. I, that's not what I was thinking of, but... Uh, uh, I, I did a bill one time uh, that was patterned after Colorado. Um, I can't think of what, I, what that did, though. Um, it, it didn't pass because the right. uh, Republicans opposed it uh, that year, and a few years later. Uh, Democrats opposed it uh, oh, okay. because uh, Speaker Bauer opposed it. Uh, anyhow, it, uh, and it's, it's. I think it's necessary. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it just isn't coming to my mind what that was. No, no worries, that's okay. Uh, but I, there, election reform is such an important issue. Yeah, um, especially at the, uh, the presidential elections. Sure. Yeah, I know it's it's definitely garnered a fair amount of controversy these last uh, few years. Oh, 
I know what I was thinking of. It, um, it was the uh, reapportionment. I, mm. I had a bill dealing with bipartisan reapportionment commission. Oh, okay. And even Speaker Bosma had a similar bill, except Speaker Bosma wanted to allow the, the Supreme Court Chief Justice to be a member. And, uh, uh, and, and the Democrats opposed it because the Supreme Court Chief Justice at the time was Randy Shepard, the person that ran against me as a Republican, and, uh, and he also ran for mayor as a Republican, and he was Republican County Chairman of Vanderbilt County uh, when he, before he was appointed to the Superior Court in Vanderbilt County. But, so, needless to say, the Republicans had a three to two majority on the reapportionment commission, so that's why Democrats opposed it at that oh, okay. point. Yeah. And, uh, but my bill would have uh, allowed two Democrats and two Republicans and the four members would then appoint a fifth person who would serve as chairman. Mm, okay. And that's what Colorado did at that time, at least. Yeah. And uh, it would have forced them to pick someone they could all agree with, and, uh, and it had to be a uh, they all, it had to be a consensus uh, pick. Yeah. So the arg- one of their arguments they made it: who in the hell would, in Indiana would be a consensus pick of four of Two Democrats or two Republicans, yeah. and so, so anyway, it didn't it didn't get a hearing, and did not uh, uh, become law. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that uh, Democrats always assume that we're going to be a majority and control the reapportionment process, and we did for twenty years, uh, but um, we got, uh, but then Republicans got it, and they have a majority right now that I don't think can be overcome. Yeah. Because uh, anymore, uh, reapportionment is done with computers. Right. And I don't know how you could. Back then, we used to sit down with pencils and, and uh, draw little maps and say, oh, my atlas in that neighborhood, I want that. <laughs> right, right. But, but that kind of thing. But now it's, you know, you can pick all, uh, draw your districts to make it almost impossible to overcome. And yeah. In Indiana, where Democrats can. Um, uh, just cannot get the majority or in any of these legislative districts except one, and that's because they've drawn the district so so democratic in that one that uh, that a Republican can't win. In fact, don't you have? I, I don't even think they have an opponent. Uh, I mean, what they do, they've appointed someone. That's right. But anyhow, they uh, um, they draw them in such a way that they uh, back there was a time when Marion County had. Uh, uh, 15 legislators, and uh, they had three-member districts back then, and uh, so there were five three-member districts, and Democrats had only had three members mm-hmm. because they put all the inner city in the, into that three-member district, and all the other districts they kind of uh, went out into the suburbs to to dilute the vote uh, for Democrats, and so anyhow they. Uh, we we couldn't elect members, so they started out uh, in the majority, uh, twelve to three, to see who's going to be in the majority in the legislature. Right. And they did the same thing in Allen County, and they had uh, uh, two three districts there, 
And in Vandenberg County, they had two two member districts. Hmm. Okay. So anyhow, they, they they don't do when we got the majority. Uh, I forget what year or eighty, I believe, or ninety. Ninety. Yeah. Anyhow, we we drew the uh, single all single member districts. Hmm. And uh, so we don't have that multi member district concept. So I I felt that was a real positive change. Yeah. Okay. Where, for one thing, you fight with your own running mate, or running mates. Yeah. You know, my running, I had a running mate one time that had a press conference and uh, and blasted me, and not my, not the Republicans. Hmm. That was okay. a legal rights amendment. He blasted me because I supported the legal rights amendment. So, wow, yeah. So anyhow, it, uh, um, I don't think it's a good idea to have multi-member districts. Right. But... I'm sorry, I got distracted there. Oh, no worries. No, it's interesting, yeah. Um, let's see, another thing I read was there was some controversy going on while you were in the General Assembly about uh, motorcycle helmet legislation. Do you remember anything about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a tough one. I, uh, um, we, we had a bill, of Republicans are... They passed a bill repealing the helmet law. We had a helmet law in Indiana. Okay. Uh, requiring motorcycle helmets. And uh, a few years later, uh, the Republicans repealed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, of course, we had increase in deaths, motorcycle helmets. And uh, I, I voted against the repeal. And uh, so a few years after that, I, I introduced a bill requiring helmets again, trying to restore the helmet law. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned that earlier, the insurance industry supported me. It's probably the first time the insurance industry supported me on anything. Yeah. But, uh, and the medical association, the hospital association, the nurses association, I had a, a lot of wonderful witnesses, but the bikers, uh, I know they were joking with me that uh, um, uh, don't go in a room where you smell leather. <laughs> <laughs> all over the place yeah and, uh, and, and uh, but anyhow they 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 won and uh, I had the fought the good fight and it was very very close but uh, uh, but so many legislators just uh, 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 did not want to go up against the motorcyclist and, uh, wow uh, and, but I didn't win all my battles but uh, I had a lot of good battles and that was that was really a, a a, a fun year, honestly. I, I remember I probably got my, I think I was the only thrill of my life I got. But, uh, okay. Uh, you know, I had to, I reported some guy to the state police because he, he, uh, he said, I know where you live and I know where your family lives. Wow. Lives and works. Yikes. So Jeez. that was one I couldn't take lightly. Of course. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, they escorted him out of the building. and uh, uh, I think that's the only time that I would, I've got political threats, but that's only one yeah. I've ever done in my life, I believe. Yeah, that's, yeah, especially over motorcycle helmets. Wow, that's, uh, yeah. That's kind of, those, that was their freedom, just like today is uh, their freedom is not, they don't have to wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. They blew, blew, ride free. Right. Well, now I'm going to shift towards some kind of a big picture. Uh, reflecting questions on your overall time in the assembly. Um, 
What would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it works? Uh, well, they they don't really. They a lot of people. I'm not saying the public in general, but a lot of people think that we live in Washington D.C. Okay. <laughs> start with. Yeah. And uh, they don't really have a, a grasp of uh, that we're actually in Indianapolis. Yeah. And uh, that's that's unfortunate. And uh, but um, and then but I think another thing is they they think that. Uh, we don't listen. Okay. And I, I believe when my experience in the legislature, at least, um, is that we did listen. In fact, sometimes we were uh, listened too much. <laughs> yeah. And, and one thing is that we uh, reacted uh, to, to to too much pressure. That we didn't do what was right. We backed down, like the motorcycle helmet bill, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, political pressure, or pressure from our constituents. I remember the another group that was uh, was the uh, Tea Party people. Okay. Or, or some, sometimes called tea baggers, but the, the Tea Party people. They um, they were really loud and obnoxious at times. Yeah. But uh, they put a lot of pressure on the legislature and uh, and. Uh, these Republicans really, I think, were fearful of, of that group. Wow! And uh, and there are a lot of groups. There, it's it's just not. There, there are left wing groups too that that do the same thing. I'm right. Sure. Not 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 as bad as the Tea Party. I don't believe. Though they were awful, really rude. Wow! These on several occasions, we had we had some nice people that were members of. Of, of Tea Party groups too that really were concerned about things like higher taxes and yeah and, uh, so not all people but uh, but there were people that really just um, um, they they got training that I think was inappropriate about you know disruptive being disruptive in, in, in committee meetings and and, and uh, meet your legislative programs they were. Uh, not refusing to sign the roster to testify, mm-hmm. they just started screaming at one one group at one meeting that I attended, uh, trying to be disruptive. And uh, but uh, we had, thankfully, thankfully we had a great big guy that was chairman of the meeting and, sh- and shut him down real fast. Yeah. Okay. But um, but over the years, I I think. Uh, where I'm going now. You were talking about uh, what my constituents don't understand. Yeah. I, uh, uh, yeah. I know Patty was, Patty was talking about the fact that any time we had a special session, they thought we were getting rich because uh, at the, uh, by, but they realized that we're also missing out on working back home. And right. Part-time legislature. Yeah. We have lives back home that we're supposed to be uh, and some of us, uh, uh, you know, we're missing out on our income back home, and uh, yeah, yeah, and we don't have a law firm that uh, uh, that where you continues to go and function. Right. And even lawyers, uh, 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 they they miss out on the income too. I know member legislators that would work uh, on weekends uh, when they came home from. Uh, 
from Indianapolis trying to get some billable hours in the yeah. law firms. Wow. But, uh, my wife is pointing out my electoral college bill. Yeah. But uh, she says 1712 in 2009. Yeah, I do. But anyhow, that I don't remember the nuts and bolts of that. But yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, allowed allowed to vote by, let's requiring you to vote by congressional district. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's just like the Supreme, as the Supreme Court is a rule, too. And, and I think also it's the same with Nebraska and uh, with uh, Maine also. They're two states that have similar yeah. requirements. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I'd forgotten I did that bill. I, I think I forgot it because uh, uh, quite often my bill, uh, my bills were to make a point and not not necessarily that because it was going to become law. Right. Okay. Because sometimes you you know you have to express your viewpoint on important changes that need to be made. Sure. Yeah, that makes I sense. That um, what, in your opinion, would you say is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Probably the budget. Okay. Um, I I was a member of Ways and Means Committee for several years, and then I was also the Democrat on the Budget Committee in the House for several years too. Mm-hmm. What were? One of the per- yeah. One, I'm going to say one of the permanent changes that uh, that the legislature. I was going to say can't, but it would be very difficult for them to do is take away important projects. For example, if you build a building at Ivy Tech in Evansville mm-hmm. or, or a building at the University of Southern Indiana, that, uh, a new library or, or a new performing arts center or something like that, it's, uh, it, it's there. It's going to benefit students for many years. And they can't, they can't repeal that. Although uh, in the next session, of legislature could uh, undo everything you've accomplished, yeah. as, as Trump has tried to do with uh, Obama. Right. Uh, but uh, they really can't take away some of the important projects that uh, we're, we're able to fund um, as a member of the budget committee. So I, I like the budget. Uh, didn't always like the process, but because uh, it's too often controlled by leadership. That, that was very frustrating. Right. But uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, it it was a g- another good learning experience. Of course, you, as a member of the budget committee, I got to travel the state. I got to have dinner with the president of Indiana University at his home, and uh, where he could talk about his budget, uh, hmm. what it was important. I got to meet with uh, the president of Purdue. Uh, have dinner with them, Martin Jeske, and got to go through prisons and uh, see how horrible they really are. Uh, yeah. And, and talk about funding issues. And, uh, uh, those are really good learning experiences and uh, no better way of finding out what needs to be done than, than doing that. But well, I'm afraid that after all that work of a whole, whole summer or a whole 
whole year or whole two years sometimes. Yeah. Then the budget's decided in a closed door by the leaders of the House and the Senate and and, and members of the budget committee, not even uh, not even in the room. And then they, uh, that that's when the budget sometimes breaks down. The leadership just says, "Well, we're taking it over." And then they cut cut their own private deals, and you don't know. Uh, what happened? Why that happened? But that happens too often. Right. I remember one time, for some reason, uh, comp- a compromise on happened, and and the leaders in the House and Senate of both parties got a new building in their legislative district for their various universities, and uh, and I don't know, but those things happen. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's it is interesting to see how things, you know, change and uh that also made me think you're talking about some of this. It made me think about uh the way government expenditures work. Uh for example, when it came to raising taxes and spending money, were there a lot of ongoing debates uh throughout your time in the General Assembly? Right. It was, there was always debate over tax issues. Um, the one thing that is consistent with Republicans is they're against taxes. Okay. Okay, so that was, um, uh, yeah. Until, until it becomes obvious they got to raise it and, uh, in order to, for government to function. Mm-hmm. And, and they do that at the state legislature. They eventually will raise the money. They'll come up with a... Uh, 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 so-called reasons that uh, uh, they'll reduce taxes. They say it's a tax reduction. In reality, it's a it's a tax increase, but uh, yeah. quite often. But um, uh, but it's something that's always under debate. And Democrats are pretty bad at it too. I remember one time we had a uh, we're always talking about the need for f- uh, adequate funding for education and social services and environmental right. protection. And there was a budget, a budget year, where we're in the majority, and so we had a bill to give everybody in the state, all taxpayers, a hundred dollars. Okay. And uh, uh, and that was over a hundred million dollars that uh, we were frittering away as, as a political gimmick. Yeah. And uh, and and it passed the house because we were in the majority. And it had one no vote, and that was me. I okay. No. Yeah. And uh, one, one Democrat no vote. All the Republicans voted no because they had they were going to do something even more, even more outlandish. Okay. But uh, <laughs> and that same year, uh, I, I almost lost my committee assignments. Uh, but that same year, uh, there was another bill, uh, and our Democrats had a ed- so-called education reform package, and a part of that was that in counties over, I believe it was 125,000, maybe 150,000, whatever, I can't remember exactly, it required that students in the school districts in that county had to uh, wear a uniform. Hmm. Uh, And and there were two no votes on that one uh, among the Democrats, and I was one of those. Wow. Okay. I was, 
vote against our budget and our tax bill and also against our so-called education reform bill. Wow. Uh, and uh, there was something else that was also stupid that we did. Um, I can't remember what that was. But anyhow, that that was the most absurd session. That um, and because you know it, it was just pandering mm-hmm. and posturing, and so I, anyhow, I, I voted. I I just thought I, I thought well I'm going to be uh, in trouble with this, but I remember going back to Evansville and we had meet the legislator and I explained it uh, my votes and the and the room was overwhelmingly supportive of me on both instances. Okay. And the other legislators, I think, found out that uh, that was not as smart as they thought, and they got a lot of a lot of uh, criticism over it. And I ended up smelling, came out smelling like a rose on that one. Yes. But I, I wasn't sure that would be the case, though. Right, of course. What allowed you to go against the grain, against your own party and stuff? What what kind of... Uh, I'm a, I've always done that. Honestly, I, I think to some extent, I, I, I never felt that I would get elected the first first time I ran. Okay. <clears throat> and then and then I thought, well, you know, I, I could be here permanently, so I just wanted to see if I could accomplish things over the years. And, yeah. And so, uh, but uh, most of the things I did were things that really helped me uh, in, with the public and with the and and the people I cared about. So. Right. Uh, sure. Uh, I, 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 I was always somewhat in trouble with my leadership. I know one time there was, I forget what I did, but I got moved to the back of the room, uh, lost my better seat, got put in the very back row. Wow. And another time, another time I lost my office. We had a cubicle. Uh, well, we had a little office I shared with a guy named John Day. And so they put me in a, in a cubicle area with the freshman. At that time, they're serving several terms. So they, and, uh, so they basically like what, tried to punish you for. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a way of punishing me. Another Jeez. time, uh, I uh, lost uh, all my committee assignments. Like uh, that was over not voting for Mike Phillips for uh, leadership, and uh, I voted for Stan Jones for. Uh, Speaker of the House, and there was a saying: if you're going to beat the king, you better. Or you're going to kill the king, you better kill him because uh, you're going to regret it. So anyhow, yeah. I, got, uh, I lost my committee assignments that that uh, over that one. I got committee assignments, but they were not very important committees. So I had to endure uh, bad committee assignments for um, for two years, and then I I got better committee assignments the next time because. Well, I know what it was. We were 50-50. No, we were. Uh, when we were 50-50, Mike Phillips realized that he had to have the 50 Democrats. Yeah. And he lost one Democrat on important issues while he was he couldn't govern. So anyhow, they um, they decided to. I got that's when I got Ways and Means Committee. So uh, so anyhow, they he decided they needed to work with me. Yeah. Okay. So. Was it always considered to be kind of taboo to go against your party on legislation throughout your time serving? Most, most of the time, you know, it is, but 
um, most issues aren't part partisan though. Okay. They uh, <clears throat> um, lose my voice here. Oh, no worries. Most issues just aren't partisan, uh, but on the very very partisan issues, uh, it's not a good idea to to go against the the your leadership, especially if your leadership has the ability to uh, inflict damage on you. Yeah, yeah. What about the... I, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, what about the influence of money in state politics? How how big of an influence was there? You know, it. I think it's very important to leadership. Because leadership raises a ton of money yeah. to support their membership. And uh, as I said, the first time I ran, I raised three hundred fifty dollars, and I won basically for just just hard work, and and the fact that I had a, a legislative or, or election trend going in my favor. Yeah, I don't want to diminish that importance, but uh, um, but uh, um, but leadership they uh, the, the, and the lobbyists and the organizations that support leadership. It's very important to them because they, I think, they control the process that way. And uh, I was able to win uh, without the requirement of money. Okay. There was one election where they, uh, or two elections where I was targeted, and uh, and so they spent a lot of money to beat me, and I had to raise money too. But uh, a lot of that money that I raised came from groups that support Democrats, uh, like teachers and labor and trial attorneys. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't have to change my position on anything because uh, I normally supported those issues that they were concerned about. Right. Uh, and also, uh, also legislative leadership helped me with a couple of those. They, despite the fact that I was somewhat a, a problem with them for, at times, they also wanted my number, my seat, was it added to the majority or the minority, increased the minority. They, so they they would uh, they supported keeping me there because the alternative was a Republican. Hmm. I think I only got challenged. I never got challenged by the Democrat leadership, but in the primary, I got challenged by Democrats in my county once, but. Uh, uh, they, it was just basically, I think, they didn't really think they were going to beat me. They just thought they would send me a, slap me with a, with a candidate. Sure. Let's see. So I think you already touched upon this earlier in the interview, but what was the, the thing that made you leave the Indiana General Assembly? Yeah, uh, that was occurring. Uh, but there were some other issues too. Uh, I, I it was no longer as much fun, for one thing, and um, I um uh, I didn't. I'm trying to think how to do this, but I don't want to. Anyhow, I 
it, it gets old. The part that gets old is asking people for contributions. Yeah. And and you got to seem like you'll just seem like people thought, well, you you're having fundraisers all the time, and and in reality you are. Yeah. Because you got to the point where you, you know you have to come up with a different angle on fundraising that wouldn't offend people that that allows them to um, contribute to you and not uh, and not. And they got to feel like they're getting something out of it. They might, you know, one time we had a, uh, we make, one of my hobbies and my wife's, and not my hobby is we can jellies and jams. And okay. So, but we had, we had biscuits and jelly for breakfast and, uh, at a, and that was something people eat, eat our biscuits and our, our, and our jelly. Oh, okay. But that was, those kind of, and then we had a, some, uh, we had, I had some folk, some, some folk singers that, uh, are friends of ours that are one of them is a uh, uh, John Prine's lead guitar. Hmm. And John, I don't know if you know who John Prine is, but he just recently died of COVID nineteen. Okay. So nationally known, nationally known folk singer. Yeah, yeah. I think but anyhow, I, yeah. just little, little fundraisers like that. And uh, but the, the other thing that I said I don't really know because I the my in two thousand and nine. There was an issue came up in Ways and Means Committee, and I was a, I was a member of the Ways and Means Committee. I was a ranking Democrat on the committee. Um, I, I, was a, I was the chairman, of course, but um, there was a, one of the freshman members, uh, one of the Democrats' bill was being heard, uh, Terry Good, and uh, but one of the freshman members questioned the bill. And uh, and I agreed with the freshman, mm. and uh, and another freshman uh, also agreed. Uh, but it was a bill to let everyone uh, in school have a free hearing aid. And um, and this uh, freshman and the three of us basically thought that was a good idea that there would at least be some kind of a. Um, um, an income required that you uh, that there be a uh, forget what the word is, uh, but yeah, you know, that you had the income had to yeah you know, means tested. My wife, as I said, corrects me all the time. That there be a means testing. That, <laughs> okay. Uh, that not everybody gets a free hearing aid. Right. That, uh, that if you're a millionaire, uh, you're Donald Trump, your kids shouldn't get free hearing aids. Right. And. Uh, so anyhow, we it was a minor thing, and they kind of agreed. The Republicans really were against it, all of them. Yeah. And, uh, and the three Democrats. Uh, so anyhow, uh, then this freshman filed a motion. I said did a motion to table the bill, and I thought that's a good idea. We'll just because you bring it back, and after you've uh, made some changes, and we'll all support it. Right. And uh, uh, and. The Ways and Means chairman was, was finally against tabling it, and he just was really angry. So anyhow, they uh, uh, we had the vote, and it was tabled. Republicans all voted table, and the three Democrats voted table. Anyhow, I got called to the Speaker's office, and he screamed at me and yelled at me like I'd not been yelled at, uh, like I was a child. Jeez! And, uh, oh my gosh! And I was—he had his attorney with him, so. Uh, 
I like it, you know, I, I sort of have a witness uh, that what uh, I could, uh, uh, that what, what he was saying. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't tell the truth, probably. But anyhow, uh, and then my bills uh, that were in committee, I'd already had a few out of committee, so they couldn't stop those. But uh, some of the bills that were still in committee, all the, and I had commitments for hearings, all of a sudden uh, uh, they said, nope, I'm not going to hear that bill, I'm not going to hear that bill. Different, different committees. And uh, um, so anyway, I lost several bills as a result of that. And, uh, uh, and just basically I, it seemed like uh, he was wanting to punish me. And, I, and, you know, I've been there a long time. Right. 36, 36 years. So, anyhow, I decided I wasn't going to run. Yeah. I, I wasn't for sure at that point, but later on I decided not to. But I was just not, I just not going to put up that crap anymore. Sure. And uh, I'd not been yelled at like that before. I'd been punished, but I uh, understood politics. But right, was right. Rude. And, uh, so anyhow, I decided, well, you know, he's not going to go anywhere, so I will. Yeah. Because my best interest to just go do something else. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. So anyhow, that was one reason, but but I wasn't enjoying the process as much any, you know, anymore either. So. Yeah. Sound like it didn't become much fun. Yeah. 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 So. And that's one thing about the legislature. I've, I've always enjoyed it. Yeah. I just enjoyed doing these things, and I enjoyed the process, and that wasn't—it was much fun anymore. Right. That's just that they weren't letting me do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Kind of defeats the point. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite story or anecdote from your time as a legislator? Um, I can't think of any honestly right now. Okay, no problem. But uh, I'm told several already though. Yeah. But, but a little slap of getting on to me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, do you have any regrets as a legislator? Uh, probably um, that I, I think maybe I, I, I felt a need to accomplish too much. Okay. And, uh, there were there were sessions that I just introduced too that many bills, right? And uh, um, and knowing that that was just there was a lot of overload, and uh, and sometimes maybe you introduce something just to make a point uh, that that you might thought I might have thought better of it, uh, doing other things, but uh, but anyway. Um, I do, some of those things were, you know, important to make those points, like the motorcycle helmet bill. I, I didn't think that was going to become law, but I thought that, you know, that people were dying because yeah. they weren't wearing helmets, and most states did require helmets, and and yet Indiana repealed our a bill that was saving lives. So anyhow, those those kind of things are important, uh, whether it be environmental bills that um, that um, you know we have global warming now. And, right, uh, and uh, there are people who say, "Well, what did you do?" I had a bill one time to require reduction in emissions uh, from the utilities that uh, would help with global warming years and years ago, and uh, and I had a bill dealing with uh, um, uh, electoral 
college and, uh, and, and a bill to deal with reapportionment. And these are all things that still they're talking about the need to reform the Electoral College. And, and, uh, and yet uh, um, we, we had, I had a bill years ago to do that. Right. But, so I, I don't regret too much. Yeah, uh, okay. I enjoyed the process. And yeah, that's good. I enjoyed good. the battles. I think there's. I, I took some bruises that were that were damaging, though. Yeah. Like motorcycle helmet bill. Uh, yeah. Um, but, but sometimes the amendments that you support uh, are are have a lasting damage and effect too. Uh, and that's because you know Democrats and Republicans. I'm not going to blame just Republicans, but we did the same thing. Right. You know, Legislators introduce some amendment to damage each other, and and uh, those have a lasting effect on on, uh, on on legislators too, and our and politicians. It's more difficult. Yeah, yeah. So, since you, I'm honestly considering considering my voting record, I'm surprised that I served 36 years. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you got some pushback, yeah, during your time. So, yeah, it's, that is pretty interesting. I come, I come from southern Indiana, and I had a, um, uh, and I served 36 years or 18, 18 terms, which is a long time. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm a liberal. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's. Uh, very difficult. Right, sure. But as I, but as I said earlier, I, I like to think myself as no, no, a non, no-nonsense kind of a, a liberal that I don't support waste and, uh, and I support good government. Right. And I try to determine when it's that eliminate waste wherever I can. That's why I which involves government restructuring, government reorganization, and eliminate waste and duplication. Yeah. And I'm afraid we still do a lot of that. So since you served so long in the General Assembly, uh, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Well, I... You know, I, I would basically encourage people to to, to get involved in government and uh, but stand for something, yeah. Something, and uh, and and I think too often legislators enjoy uh, being legislators and not doing something as a legislator, uh, using the office to, to to do good things for their constituents. And another thing is listen to their constituents. Uh, you don't have to do you know, buckle under and do everything because, you know, you talk to 10 constituents and you're going to get 10 different opinions on what you're <laughs> right, going to do. Right, right. But, uh, but, but it is important to listen to people because, you know, I, most, of my, <clears throat> most of the ideas for bills that I had came from a conversation I had with someone. And uh, I didn't, uh, sometimes it's just uh, a uh, uh, um, a conversation where you accept that that's a good idea. We need to do something about that. 
you don't necessarily do what the constituent wanted, but you find a, a way of addressing the issue. And uh, you don't have to just rubber stamp everything people tell you, but yeah. they wouldn't be bringing these issues to our attention if there wasn't a problem. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Um, see, last few questions here. How has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? The, I'm sorry, would you repeat that? I'm sorry. Yeah. How has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? Well, I think dramatically in that uh, politics has gotten more divisive. Right. Far more conservative. And uh, we have one party total domination. We've uh, we've had one party control a lot over the years, but there's been a give and take far more than I think we see now. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, my first two years with, with Democrats in the majority because of a landslide, and then uh, but for the next. I think 18 years, uh, Republicans controlled state government, but it was. But I don't think we ever they ever had a super majority. I think uh, they had the majorities, but it was somewhat close at times. But uh, but they always controlled the Senate, though. That's the one with the exception of two years. But they always controlled the Senate, uh, and uh, for the most part, it's. Not often been that all that close. Now it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, they, much they control it, but that's. I think that's changed too, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. But uh, um, I don't. I, I think some of the interest groups that used to have a lot of input uh, are pretty much locked out of the process now, like like educators. Mm -hmm. Uh, working people, organized labor, I don't think they have nearly the uh, input that they used to have. Right. And that's because, of, I think, largely because of one-party controlled process. And I, I think people concerned about the environment uh, are ignored in Indiana, and I think that's unfortunate. Sure. But... Uh, it, it's just it, uh, Indiana just become far more conservative than uh, than when I served. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. Um, and I guess you already mentioned earlier just how much the politics has shifted to kind of being more toxic in terms of the relationship between politicians and the state, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosers still have or hold dear? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of things that consistently uh, I, 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 you know, I think people still believe that, that uh, they can 
talk to their legislators. Okay. And uh, and um, and and have a, and although I, I I think too often they too many people think they can't, but uh, but I think there's still the core of people that uh, still believe that they can talk to governmental leaders and have a, uh, have a positive impact on them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I said earlier that's uh, unfortunately something that a lot of people don't think they can do. Right. Yeah. Uh, last question: What do you? Also, also yeah. There, there. I'm, I'm very positive about some of the progressive organizations that uh, that are starting to um, come. Uh, starting to come forward, too. I, I remember I, I was a Bernie uh, Sanders supporter okay. in 2016. Right. And a group called Our Revolution, uh, uh, which was something that came about because of the Sanders campaign. Mm-hmm. And, and now, and since then, also a group called uh, Indivisible, which is another progressive organization. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. They, uh, they started a they organized in Evansville, and the chairman of our party, the vice chairman, and uh, the secretary, I think, are all came out of the Indivisible campaign. And uh, so we have progressive organizations that uh, that are have gotten involved in at least Democrat politics. Yeah. And uh, and, and I, I see some really good, sharp young people. And I remember when I commented to the Bernie Sanders rally, I got to introduce him. Oh, really? And, um, okay. And so in the rally, I, I said, uh, uh, I was involved in the Eugene McCarthy campaign. It's basically mm-hmm. a lot of college students, that, that campaign. And I said uh, that during the during McCarthy campaign, that all those young people that were involved, and that was a, we had a large group, uh, I'm the only one that stayed in politics. The rest of them just faded away. It disappeared. Wow. And uh, uh, but I'm the only one that stayed in politics. And uh, and I hope that didn't happen uh, in the uh, the Sanders campaign and right. subsequently indivisible. All well, the indivisible people were not necessarily Sanders people, though. Okay. They were just uh, uh, I think progressive that believed in good government and, and mm-hmm. getting involved and. And also a lot of them are just anti-Trumpers, too, which is a right. positive thing, I think. Yeah. But uh, um, but there, a lot of these people are still involved, and they're taking over the Democrat Party. Yeah. Which I think is very healthy. So we need to, some new people take over our party and it's, get rid of some of the, of the dead weight. It's definitely started to change a lot. That's true. Um, yep. Did you, so did you get to, like, talk with Sanders at all? Oh, yeah, I did. I got to, but, you know, there were so many people around him that there right. wasn't much of a conversation, but I got, I got a hug from Sanders, and I got a hug from Jane, his wife. Oh, okay. Wow. But I uh, got some photographs, but, uh, yeah. Um, but as I said, he had a lot of supporters there, so that we had about, I think, someone said 5,000 rally, but it was a nice rally, and, uh, uh, but uh, it was, a good experience. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. But this campaign, I'm afraid, uh, this this campaign, uh, 
I did not support Sanders. I supported Elizabeth Warren. Oh, okay. Interesting. But I, yeah. I, I still, Sanders was my second choice, but uh, right. I, I've always admired Elizabeth Warren for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and I also was politically believed that uh, she had a better chance of actually uh, winning, even though I was wrong. It didn't turn out any, uh, for either one of them. But, uh, yeah. I've been, I've been, I think I've only supported one candidate from the beginning that became uh, that one, and that was Obama. Okay. Yeah. I usually pick the pick the losers. Yeah, it's pretty hard to predict how politicians will do. I mean, there's so many stages, and uh, yeah. I know I was a Gary Hart supporter years ago and the George McGovern. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, various, various people that didn't succeed right let's see so what do you want Hoosers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly I'm sorry would you repeat that yeah Um, what do you want Hoosers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly well, I think um, I would like for them to know more that they do have a a, a voice, yeah. and, and that uh, and if they express, you know, we, uh, there are issues that we have the slightest idea. Uh, uh, we don't really understand a lot of these issues, and uh, and sometimes we don't get any input other than the lobbyist, right? And they're paid to express their viewpoint or um, or their interest group, and if, and there are people that come forward, uh, talk to us, and meet your legislators, or write us letters, or meet us on the street that can explain these uh, 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 how they're impacted by those issues. And I would like I just want people to know that they can have uh, a voice. Yeah, and, uh, that, definitely. And I and I think legislators that listen uh, are are more successful than those that ignore them. And uh, so hopefully. Uh, Legislators listen to the, those people that do have expertise. Yeah. We, we get several, a couple thousand bills introduced during the session, maybe more. I'm not even sure how many are introduced now. But uh, um, we don't uh, have expertise in all those issues, and, and, and there are people out there that do. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's great. Absolutely. It, it definitely would be useful if more people realize that they have an impact in politics. So, um, Let's see, do you have any questions for me at all? Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to mention? Or No, I'm, I'm sure there are tons of things I'd like to talk about, but I can't think of what they are right now. <laughs> okay, no worries. Pretty good discussion. Well... Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for, for doing this and, and taking part. This should be a, a good addition to the collection of interviews uh, that we're creating. And, uh, yeah, really thankful that you're willing to help out with the project. So, oh, No problem. And uh, feel free to call if you have any other questions. And yeah, absolutely. We're Definitely. Really happy to talk about these issues. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a, few, a few years since I, I did not run in 2010. Right. And... Uh, uh, so that's it's been a few years, and and I'm a little rusty on some of these things, but uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm 
appreciate the chance to uh, to bring to talk about some of these things because I've missed doing that. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's great. I'm I'm glad that I could uh, yeah get you sort of back in touch with with yeah you know state politics and and hear about your experiences. So it's it's very very useful. So um, I don't, one of the, one yeah. of the things that I know I've told myself and and I've tried to do is uh, is over the last several years is to to work with young people to get more young people involved in politics. I know I've recruited candidates that uh, uh, that have run than are currently running. At oh, okay. Office and, yeah. And, uh, uh, I think that's perhaps my role now. Uh, yeah. Is to is to uh, get some really good, sharp young people involved in politics and see them succeed. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, I'm doing that now, and we'll hopefully continue to do that for a while. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's a, a good way for you to stay involved, so that's... Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Well, um... And, and, I'm, and I'm still a precinct committeeman, too, so... Right, right. That, uh, of course. Anymore, I don't think that's a very important thing anymore, but... Uh, yeah. You know, like with the changes in recent years, but... Uh, sure. But still, uh, it keeps keeps me... I get to go to meetings. Yeah. <laughs> That's when they open up and let us go to meetings. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that works. Um, all right. Well, Okay. thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.